Joy and peace are precious things. They're so valuable we can't really put a price on them. A life that is robbed of joy and peace is miserable. A life that's full of joy and peace is wonderful. Maybe you've come here this morning looking for joy and peace. If that's the case, you need to know that Jesus Christ offers those things to you. And you also need to know those things come to you through his death. In recent weeks, we've listened to Jesus as he's been preparing his followers for the future. He has promised that in the future he will come back for them. He promised that in the meantime, he would send his Holy Spirit to be with them. He promised that as they remained in him, they would live fruitful lives. Jesus also prepared his followers to experience hatred and persecution from this world. It's hatred of Jesus would spill over in hatred of his disciples as well. But alongside that, Jesus promised that the disciples' mission of testifying about him would be a successful mission. As they testified, the Holy Spirit would convince people of the truth about themselves. And that realization of their sin, their empty self-righteousness, their mistaken ideas about reality, realization of the truth of those things would lead those people to trust in Jesus. And finally, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would guide his followers in the truth of Jesus. He would lead them in the production of the New Testament, a divinely inspired testimony to the truth of Jesus. So Jesus has given great insight into what the long-term future holds for his followers. And as we've listened... In recent weeks, we may have forgotten the context of his teaching in these chapters of John. Because Jesus has said all of this, knowing that his death is only a few hours away. And our passage this morning brings us back to that reality. After all his teaching about the long-term future, Jesus has to prepare his followers now for the short term. And so he says to his disciples... First, the cross. The cross is the gateway to all the other things I've been talking about. And specifically in the passage we're going to look at this morning, the cross is the gateway that opens up joy and peace to us. So turn with me to John chapter 16. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 1084. In the larger print Bibles, 1678. And we'll be reading from chapter 16, verse 16, to the end of the chapter in verse 33. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean 
by saying, in a little while you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied, A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is God's word. And it is all about the significance of what is going to happen in the next few days. You can see that in verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. Those words cause all sorts of confusion among these disciples. The phrase, a little while, gets repeated five times in the next three verses. They're baffled by Jesus' words. But as you and I look back to this, knowing what comes next, Jesus' words in verse 16 are fairly straightforward. The first little while that Jesus mentions is going to last just a few hours. In a little while you will see me no more means in a few hours I'm going away to the cross to die. 
The second little while will last three days, from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. After a little while you will see me means I will return to you after I've risen from the dead. Now that's easy for us to see because we have the benefit of hindsight. The disciples, on the other hand, are right in the middle of the situation. And they're still having serious struggles grasping the idea that Jesus is about to die. But what Jesus wants them to see is the practical significance of the second little while he's just told them about. The three days from his death on Good Friday till his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Jesus says that three-day period will come to be seen as the little while of grief that led to unshakable joy. Look how he explains that down in verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Verse 20 gives two contrasting reactions to Jesus' death. His followers will weep and mourn, he says, while the world rejoices. And we've noticed before that in John's gospel, the world means the world in its rebellion against God. Its refusal to accept his son Jesus. And we have seen the world represented by the religious leaders who oppose Jesus. They're the ones who will rejoice at Jesus' death. Because they think they've gotten rid of him. That he won't be around to rock their boat anymore. In contrast to that, the disciples will weep and mourn. Because it will seem that all is lost. It will seem that all they had with Jesus is gone. And all they hoped for with Jesus has disappeared. But, Jesus says, with my resurrection, that grief is going to turn to joy. In verse 21, Jesus compares it to the pain of childbirth. Pain that gives way to joy because of the new arrival. That picture was used often in the Old Testament to speak about the arrival of God's salvation. And here, too, the joy that's ahead will not come simply from seeing Jesus again after the cross. That will be wonderful for these disciples. But even more significant will be the permanent change that's been brought about by the cross. And that's why in verse 22, Jesus says he's talking about joy no one will take away. As wonderful as it will be to see Jesus again in person after the cross... That will only be for a short time before he returns to heaven. The joy that will be lasting and unshakable comes from the new situation brought about by the cross. 
What is that new situation? Well, in verses 23 to 28, Jesus explains the disciples will come to see the anguish of the cross opened the way to intimacy with our loving Father. Look at verse 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. In verse 23, in that day means from that day on. After the cross and resurrection, Jesus' followers will have direct access to God the Father. They will have that access in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name means on the basis of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. On the cross, he dealt with our sin. He took the guilt of it on himself. And he took the punishment of it on himself. And by doing that, he freed us from the guilt of our sin. As Christians, we often celebrate that truth. Actually, we celebrate it every week. But what Jesus does here is he goes on to celebrate what came about because of that work on the cross. The way was open to intimacy with our loving Father. In other words, as wonderful as it is to have our sins forgiven, that was never the end point that God had in mind. Forgiveness of sins was necessary So the real wonder could take place. That we could enter into a living, loving relationship with our Father in heaven. The cross was the gateway to that wonder. We've heard about it recently in Galatians. At the cross we were redeemed so that we can call God Abba, Father. And that intimacy with the Father is our unshakable joy. Back in verse 22, Jesus called it joy that no one will take away. In verse 24, he calls it complete joy. And it comes from the fact that our Father himself receives us and answers our prayers. Recently in John's Gospel, we've seen several prayer promises given by Jesus. And in verses 23 and 24, he gives another prayer promise. And like the others, this prayer has a context. It's given to those who rely on the forgiveness Jesus won for us on the cross. Those who find our joy in the relationship we now have with the Father because of the cross. So prayers that are prayed in arrogance don't fit that context. Self-centered, self-seeking prayers don't fit that context. But prayers that seek the glory of the Son who died, prayers that the Father's will be done, prayers that seek greater intimacy with the Father, those kind of prayers do fit the context here. The kind of prayers that come from men, women, and children 
whose unshakable joy is their intimacy with God their Father. And for us today, it's important to grasp this truth. That forgiveness of our sins is not the core of our joy. The core of our joy is the relationship with the Father that forgiveness of sins opened up for us. As incredible as our forgiveness is, and as much as we do find joy in it, forgiveness is ultimately just the doorway to relationship. A relationship that can be deepening throughout our lives. A relationship that will continue to flourish and blossom throughout eternity. Look how Jesus develops this in verse 25. The way I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask, in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. In verse 25, when Jesus says he's been speaking figuratively, he's referring to the whole of his teaching in chapters 14 to 16. And the sense is not that he's been speaking in metaphors or parables. Apart from the bits about the vine and the branches in chapter 15, it hasn't been metaphorical language. Jesus is simply pointing to the fact that a lot of what he has said has been beyond the disciples' grasp at this point. But that is going to change after the cross. Then, with the arrival of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' followers will get it. And here Jesus says what they will get, above all, is the reality of relationship with God the Father. Jesus wants to stress they don't need to pray to Him, the Son, in order to have messages relayed to the Father through the Son. No, look again at verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. We've been speaking about relationship with the Father. And now it's underlined from God's side. There's nothing lukewarm. There's nothing half-hearted about his approach to this relationship. Not at all. He loves us. Maybe we have an idea in our heads that the Father has somehow been forced into accepting us. Because Jesus died for us, so the Father had to accept us. We might think that way, but that is not what John's Gospel has taught us. Back in chapter 3, we were told, God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son. God the father's love came first. Before his son Jesus came to earth and died on the cross. And incredibly God the father's love 
was love for a rebellious world that was actually condemned to receive his eternal wrath because of our sin. That was the world God the Father loved. A world you and I belong to because of our sin. It was the Father's love that gave the Son. So he could love us in a new, greater way. With the barrier of our sin removed from the equation. That's the background to Jesus' words here in verse 27. He speaks about our response to Jesus. But we've seen from chapter 3, the Father's love for us did not begin with our loving response to the Son. The Father's love was there before the Son came. And now after the cross, as we respond to the Son, the Father's love flows out to us in a richer, fuller way. His desire for intimacy was always there. And now by dealing with our sin, the cross has removed the barrier to that intimacy. As we read the New Testament, we find it referring to Jesus as our mediator. It tells us Jesus intercedes for us. And when the New Testament calls Jesus our mediator and speaks about his intercession, it's talking about his work on the cross. We approach the Father on the basis of Jesus' blood, his sacrifice. That's the way Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus is our mediator in the sense that he offered the sacrifice which opened the way to the Father. As we sang earlier, I come by the blood. But as Jesus points out here in verse 26, him being our mediator does not mean every prayer from us has to go through Jesus or we're not going to get a look in from the Father. No. When the book of Hebrews says we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, it means we can approach the Father with confidence. He loves us. He delights to pour out the mercy and grace we need. So saying Jesus is the mediator who intercedes for us does not mean Jesus has to keep chivying and nagging the Father so the Father stays civil to us. Not at all. Jesus, our mediator, has removed the sin that put the barrier between us and our loving Father. The Father needs no chivying or nagging to shower us with grace. As Jesus says in verse 26, He doesn't have to ask the Father on our behalf because, verse 27, the Father himself loves us. If you're a Christian, has this sunk in for you? Have you grasped this? That Christianity is more than a business deal. It's more than a one-off transaction where you bring your sin to God and he grants you forgiveness. 
And then once you've got your ticket to heaven, you check in every so often to make sure the arrangement stays in place. If you've got that idea, then no wonder it can all feel a bit cold and lifeless. No wonder you can get a bit nervous about your status with God if you've stumbled and fallen in your obedience during the week. We have not gathered here this morning to sing and celebrate a business transaction. We sing and celebrate relationship with God the Father Almighty. We celebrate intimacy with the Father who loves us with an unfathomable everlasting love. And the cross of Jesus Christ was the gateway to that. It was the little while of grief that led to the unshakable joy of relationship with the Father. And the cross was the gateway to something else as well. That same little while lets us experience peace in a world full of trouble. The disciples have been listening to Jesus as he talks about intimacy with the Father. And they've forgotten that the cross has to come first. Look at that in verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. The disciples say, Now we get it. Now we see. And Jesus says, Oh, no, you don't. You won't truly see until after the cross. Until then, you are not ready to face this world and its opposition. Back in chapter 13, Jesus pointed this out to Peter. When Peter was all gung-ho about following Jesus, even to death. And here, Jesus tells all of the disciples the same thing. You're not ready yet. The cross has to come first. Then you'll be ready. Why? How will the cross change things? Well, we've heard how it will change grief to joy as they enter into a relationship with the Father. But here... Jesus is talking about their fear in the face of opposition. Fear that before the cross will make them scatter. You can see that in verse 32. How will the cross change that? How will it replace fear with a deep peace? A peace that enables them to stand firm for Jesus instead of scattering in despair and hopelessness? Well, Jesus answers that question in verse 33. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In a few hours, Jesus will overcome the world on the cross. And by world, remember, he means the world that opposes him and his people. The world that's the enemy of God and his people. In another place, the New Testament tells us the world that opposes God is under the control of the evil one. The devil. Satan. The world may imagine it's free because it defies God's authority. But actually, the Bible says, the world is under the devil's thumb. Here in John's gospel, Jesus called the devil the prince of this world. But Jesus went on to say the cross would drive out the prince of this world. What seems at first to be Satan's moment of greatest triumph will prove to be the crucial moment of his defeat. In his letter to the Colossians, the apostle Paul says, it was by the cross that Christ triumphed over the spiritual powers and authorities of this world. The book of Hebrews says it was by Jesus' death that he broke the power of the devil. So if we come back to our question, how does the cross give us peace? Peace even in the midst of trouble. And here Jesus says we will have trouble. In a previous passage, he said that may include the trouble of hatred, persecution, and even death. How can we face even the worst trouble with peace in our hearts? Is it by trying to be Zen and pretend the trouble's not real? That's hardly the kind of peace Jesus has in mind. How then, how can we face trouble with peace in our hearts? We can do it because we know however much this world thrashes against us as Jesus' followers, however much the prince of this world wages war against us, Jesus, our Savior, has overcome the world and the prince of this world. He has already conquered it. The trouble we face in this world is the fury of a defeated foe who knows his time is short. We can have peace because we know the crucial victory has already been won at the cross. The same event that opened up unshakable joy for us through intimacy with our loving Father, that same event also conquered all that would rob us of peace. And I don't mean superficial peace on the surface of our lives. I mean the deep down peace of knowing that Christ has conquered. And so, We cannot be eternally harmed by this world's evil and hatred. 
Whatever it does to us, it cannot rob us of intimacy with our loving Father. It cannot steal away the eternal future we look forward to in His presence. And so in our trouble, we must learn to look beyond that trouble to the victory that has overcome the world. Now, doing that will not take our trouble away, but it will give us the true perspective that leads to deep down peace. I know that for many of you, life is full of so many different uncertainties. There's so much to worry about. There's so much to be anxious about. But when we stop and when we focus on the victory Jesus won at the cross, then we're able to see there is nothing of eternal significance to be worried and anxious about. The truly lasting things are safe and secure. And alongside peace, there is joy to be experienced. Joy no one can take away from us. As we pursue this lifelong adventure of intimacy with God, our loving Father. And so before we celebrate these things in our final songs, let's just take a moment to consider them quietly and personally. Let's ask ourselves, is this what I'm looking to for my joy? Do you recognize relationship with God, your Father, as the true source of joy? Or have you been distracted from that? Maybe you never realized that's where joy is found. What about peace? Have you been looking to Jesus' victory on the cross for your peace? Are you learning to rest in the fact that on the cross, Jesus conquered everything that could do you eternal harm? Let's take a moment to quietly reorder our thinking and our hopes. Just do that personally. Now we're going to join in two final songs. And these songs celebrate the truths of our passage in reverse order. So the first song is taken from Jesus' words in verse 33. The truth that our peace comes from knowing he has overcome the world. He wears the victor's crown. And then our last song is about the joy of knowing God as our Father. Let's sing Victor's Crying and then Father God, I Wonder.
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.